Welcome to Intentional Growth, a show that teaches you as a business owner and entrepreneur to view and run your company like a financial asset, which will allow you to enjoy work, create wealth, and make an impact. This mindset will help you focus on building a more valuable business and give you the choices to grow, acquire, reinvest, or exit and live the life you plan for, all with intention. And now here's your host, Ryan Tansom. How's everybody doing? Thanks for tuning back in. I hope you're enjoying this show. If you are, my request would be is please go on your podcast player, give the show a rating, share it with a friend. It does a huge amount for me and the show as we're constantly trying to level up our guests. And we have some really good things in store for the show. We're going to constantly try to level up the content. We're putting some serious thought behind the content and the strategies that we're going to be putting into the show. So please go on to your podcast player, give it a rating, share it with a friend. And on to our guest today. His name is Jonathan Beskin, and he's a a serial entrepreneur and digital ad expert and owner of a 60 million direct to consumer company and a Wall Street Journal bestselling author. He's been honored by the Inc. 5000 numerous times. And the book that he just got done writing is The Least Likely Millionaire, How to Succeed When Everyone Else Expects You to Fail. Jonathan was hospitalized twice due to mental illness, told by teachers he was never smart enough, and was told by colleagues in his corporate world that he lacked the skills he needed to start a company. And Jonathan today shares his journey of managing his relentless energy and thoughts that were often destructive for him, and he shifted his mindset and how he funnels them now into creating the business that has led to his success as well as a life that he thinks is worth living. I think this is a super relatable uh, podcast and a conversation because the battlefield for all of us is both in business and the six inches between our ears. The latter is sometimes more difficult than the former. Thanks everybody for tuning in and I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Jonathan. This episode is brought to you by Arcona's Fractional CFO Services. Arcona's Fractional CFOs integrate into your management team and assume the responsibility of the CFO. They become your strategic financial partner to help you run the business, create your value growth plan, and build the financial roadmap to the valuation you want to achieve. Jonathan, how are you, man? Doing well. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm excited. I, uh, you know, you and I, when we were doing our prep call, I really enjoyed just, I mean, I could tell we, we hit, we went right into the deep end. <laughs> It's essentially right uh, how I felt, and I'm excited to to jump in. So you came out with a book. Uh, why don't you just give everybody kind of a cliff note of what the book is and what your um, what your message is? Because I think the authenticity that you had on our first call and like our prep call was like, I'm why I'm excited to jump in because I think the listeners will appreciate your story. Yeah, well, thanks, Ryan. I uh, genuinely enjoyed our prep call as well, and uh, I was excited to be on the the podcast and uh, appreciate you mentioning the book. So The Least Likely Millionaire, How to Succeed When Everyone Expects You to Fail is really a memoir uh, about my life, some uh, specific uh, things that occurred, uh, a lot of them negative on the kind of trajectory of my life and how I was able to overcome all of that to achieve uh, kind of life-changing success and how uh, there are some actionable steps that I think other people can take who read the book that can uh, uh, use that as a tool to kind of harness uh, some things I talk about, uh, take some steps to either start a business, change their 
your life in meaningful ways. Uh, but things like overcoming uh, debilitating anxiety, depression, I was hospitalized uh, as both an adolescent and adult uh, for severe mental illness. I've been on a, a kind of roller coaster of the cocktails of all different kinds of uh, psychotropic medications, been, been off and on. And ultimately, I was able to kind of harness uh, this power that I call healthy obsession, which is kind of, uh, you know, I know I have these uh, kind of symptoms of anxiety, uh, racing thoughts. How can I channel that into something positive uh, that's going to benefit my life? And ultimately, uh, that's what I did. And I was able to start with nothing, uh, scale my first company, Single Swag, to uh, from zero uh, to 60 million in under five years. It's a top 200 Inc. 5000 company, a top 10 company as far as growth in the state of Florida and do it profitably and, and kind of change my life and the course of my family's life in the process. So, you know, just barely, you know, there's barely anything there to unpack, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I, honestly, Jonathan, I, lo I love it because like, you know, one of the things that I've been um, passionate about recently is just like, I, just getting rid of the, the veil, the vanity metrics and making sure that like, Hey, what are we all doing here? You know what I mean? Because there's been so many people on the show that have made a bunch of money and then they figure out like, Hey, this is not, I was solving for the wrong things. And I want to talk about like, you know, the, the mindset shift that you've had over the years, like how you got to the point where you're now able to talk about all this stuff and over, you know, you overcame it all. And I know that that was, I, I should say, I probably wasn't easy. So like, what, what, what was the mindset as a kid that you had? Like, what, what was some of the, like, you go, do you look back and say, okay, here's how some of this stuff started? Like, can give us some of that context. Yeah, well, uh, I, I think really I acted out a lot uh, as a as a child because I was looking for attention. Um, I didn't get uh, my father kind of left uh, my family to move to another state. My parents got divorced when I was very young. And not only that, but did some really uh, toxic things. One thing I talk about in the book is that um, I had this kind of culminating event in my life of a bar mitzvah. And it's something that I was a 13-year-old kid, invited friends and family, and my father got up in front of the congregation or the group and made, instead of like congratulating me on this kind of life-achieving milestone, uh, made a speech bad-mouthing me, bad-mouthing my mom for not inviting him to the party, kind of a very embarrassing, very toxic oh oh, uh, situation that's tough for a 13 year old to overcome. And I don't even know if I had the perspective on that uh, type of, you know, how that situation affects someone as a child, as I do now, uh, as as an adult. And I spent a lot of time alone. I was an only child. I, uh, my mother worked uh, as a teacher and then aftercare every day. So I just uh, kind of had myself. I never really had a lot of uh, friends growing up. And uh, I, I think I, I don't like share all this to like, uh, you know, uh, I, I guess look for empathy or or, or get sympathy. Yeah, you're not but, looking for pity. You're just like this is your this is your truth. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. But I, but I I I think if I didn't, you know, what what's important that I talk about in the book, and I, I think if I didn't go through all this adversity, and and these are just a few examples of the kind of adversity. And as I was a child, there's kind of a lot more. If I didn't go through that, I would never have achieved uh, what I achieved, and I never would have, um, you know, done what I'd done from a, a business perspective. And I also was a serious marathon runner. I became very disciplined in, in what I did. And I learned how to do things. And a lot of people, even when I was starting my company, uh, told me uh, very 
deliberately in an overt way how I was never going to be able to do this, how this company was never going to be able to succeed, how I wasn't going to be able to do it without raising money, uh, which I did, how I wasn't going to be able to build kind of a brand uh, that was marketed towards women uh, without involving women. So I was told all the reasons why it wouldn't work, why I wasn't smart enough, why I didn't have the right education, the right background, the right experience. And ultimately, um, I did it myself. And I think I learned a lot along the way. If I were to start another business today, would I do things differently? Yeah, yes. Did, did I make a lot of mistakes? But ultimately, um, you know, I'm not really necessarily sad about the things that uh, occurred in my life where I am today, uh, because now, you know, if you look at kind of my life on a bell curve, and I've done this exercise Size called a lifeline before, and it kind of mm -hmm. it's like a stock EO. ticker. Yeah, EO, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rock on, and, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of my, um, uh, you know, the, the beginnings of my life, my teenage years, my childhood was in the, uh, you know, the the, the bottom of the mean. Uh, so, so, so kind of. Yeah. Uh, you know, trending downward. I had a pretty positive experience as an undergraduate at uh, Florida State and uh, then trending downward some as an adult. But ultimately now, uh, for the last uh, seven years, I've had this company written the book. Uh, things have been on an upward trend. Uh, not everything has been totally positive, but uh, that's kind of how I look at it. And, uh, you know, I'm happy to share these things. I'm happy to be transparent, particularly about the mental illness, because I feel like there's a stick stigma uh, societal stigma associated with that. And not everyone is willing to talk about it, although it really does impact uh, a big portion of the population. I mean, I, I don't think that everyone necessarily exhibits it like I did with suicidal ideation, with thinking about things, but anxiety is very common. Stress oh, is very common. I, mean, I, I hope, Jonathan, are you seeing yeah. that like, it, like people are are like, I mean, it's less of a stigma because I, I think when our prep call, I shared that like my mental health has run through my whole family, mental health issues. And I feel like I kind of, like I, I say like nick me <laughs> like because I got the productive monkey mind where I funneled it. And I think that's what your kind of your theme is how to channel that. One of the, before we get into how people can do that and how you overcame some of this stuff here, my question is, so your book when you wrote it or where you're at right now are you like are you in a spot of like peace or are you in the spot of like this is for resentment and to kind of give the f you to everybody in your past uh it, it, it's really an, an important question and it's uh uh and and I, the way i would answer it is it's it's kind of a combination still i think that uh a lot of what motivates yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, uh, a, a lot of what motivated me as I was building my business and a lot of what still motivates me is proving people wrong. And, you know, people told me I can't do something. F you. Uh, I'm going to go do it. And a lot of the reinforcement of that writing a book, getting recognized in national news, being on the Inc. 5000 list, being able to post those on social media to, to kind of quiet the haters or put that out there. I it, it, it's kind of like a, a, you know, for lack of a better word, kind of like a drug. It's something that I uh, thrive on and it's something that 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 is very motivating to me. At the same time, uh, there is there can be some toxicity associated with that because from my perspective, because, you know, it's, it's never enough. Uh, so, I mean, right, if I right. have these people that that really, you know, the people I'm trying to prove it to from high school, from when I was younger, that treated me like like trash, that called me white trash, that made fun of me. 
uh, are not a part of my life. I mean, my son is a part of my life, my my immediate family, my mother who's involved in my business, who I talk about in the book, uh, my friends that I have now. Those are people that are meaningful to me. And, and a lot of times I find myself stuck on thinking about the people that are so removed from my life, but I can't get over, uh, you know, the, 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 this whole insecurity mm-hmm. of, of proving them wrong. So, uh, I, I, I feel like I aspire to get better about that and to be, to live in the moment and enjoy the success I've had. Uh, but it, it's, it's not always uh, that easy to overcome, um, some of this deep rooted, uh, stuff from my past. No, I appreciate the answer, man. Cause like I, I, the reason I asked too, is because I think, it, you know, it's energy that can fuel some cool stuff like you've done. Right. And I've, I've experienced the same thing, but also the reason, like if resentment, it, it becomes the reason it's gross essentially over time. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And like, so like how to balance that in a healthy way. And because I th- like, and I think about like myself, my family members, I mean, my, the, some of the listeners might know, but like, I mean, my dad built our business to prove to the world that he was worth something and that he, that everybody can go pound sand. And then the moment he dealt with that is the moment we hit this, like, we, like the things kind of unraveled, which then I had to come in and we had to deal with this together. And so like, I, it's always about like this, like refinement of the motivation. And hopefully like, you know, at the end of the day, we're all spending, we're, we fall asleep with our, you know, eyes staring at the ceiling by ourselves. <laughs> So whatever's going through our head, it's not the other people that are sitting there and like how to make sure that that transition or the focal point is the right focal point. And it's tough. How how along your journey in your lifeline did you bounce into these situations where you were able to like reflect back and see what was going on? Because I think sometimes when like when I've in my past, when I've been stuck in the hamster wheel, like there was something recently, I was like, oh my God, like a couple months ago, I didn't see that at all. And <laughs> now I do. And I can tell you what, just that comment, Jonathan, is I didn't see it before. Now I see it. That was a son of a bitch to get from point A to point B yeah. personally, you know what I mean? <laughs> and emotionally. So how, how are, how did you go through those? Does the question make sense? Or is there certain points yeah uh, uh i think it definitely makes sense i'm i'm not sure that my answer will 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 uh you know make the most sense i'll i'll, I'll try to uh, articulate the best way but i i think uh doing things like this uh can, can be very therapeutic and mm-hmm. i mean actually talking these things out or doing an exercise like writing a book and kind of reliving things that I had buried very deep in my emotional state, like things like that incident I described at the bar mitzvah, um, being involved uh, in hospitalization um, as an adolescent and as an adult and uh, for mental illness. I mean, these are uh, the types of, of life events that, that I try not to think about. And that now when I'm actively talking about them and I'm actively writing about them and I'm actively being asked questions about them, um, it does, uh, you know, give me the, the perspective to, to know everything that I've overcome and that, uh, you know, where I am today mm-hmm. is, is, is totally different than, than where I was. But I think, uh, you know, it, it, it's definitely a work in progress. Uh, I'm still uh, a work in progress. I think that, 
for me, um, you know, the way that I look at kind of mental illness and 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 the, the reason why I, I kind of have this method of dealing with it is because this is not something for me that's ever going to go away. Uh, this is something that's genetic. Uh, it's part of how I operate. It's part of so uh, I can't have an idle mind. If I uh, fully retire and I have nothing to focus on, um, I'm going to, you know, get it, you know, incredibly depressed and I'm going to get incredibly anxious. Uh, being overwhelmed at times is healthy for me because it gives me things to focus on that ultimately are their positive things. If I'm not going out and, uh, uh, you know, wasting money or, or, or doing anything crazy and I'm taking care of my family. But I, I, I think that, I you know, this is something that I have. This is something that I need to continue to, to deal with and that I think uh, affects other people, too. And uh, that's that that that's really what I try to do on a daily basis is is keep you know and, and and it's kind of become second nature in a lot of ways that now I can kind of focus on the right things and and uh, you know for a long time after I was hospitalized as an adult I even needed to read myself testimonials and I have a a list of testimonials that I had kind of read about this kind of technique uh, where you know I told myself that I could do certain things and I spoke out loud to myself and. And I uh, uh, and until eventually I feel like it became second nature and it became part of my being and, and just the way that I mm -hmm. uh, operate, because uh, that's kind of what I what, what I needed, because this just never goes away. I, I, I appreciate that, man. And I want to get into some of these techniques that you talk about. Um, and by the way, I don't know if you're, are you familiar with Peter Atiyah. No. Um, Peter Peter T is this uh, doctor that uh, wrote this book called Outlive, and he was on Rogan recently. And she's this brilliant dude. And at the last chapter, he talked about emotional stability. Like it's it's like five hundred pages about how to like outlive and how to have perfect your body. And then he's like, the most important thing is your mental health. And then he talks about how he struggled with it. And that's why I think it's awesome that you're out there sharing this and we're talking about this stuff because I think Jonathan that there is a huge disproportionate amount of entrepreneur founders that this is the driving force behind their business. Like, I mean, it's what I saw is yeah. what I, I mean, like, I mean, I have a component of it, why I've been doing this over the last 10 years. And I know my father did. And I know a lot of the people out of the 400 people that have been on the show <laughs> have the same thing. And my curiosity is like, and what I hope that this show does for people is it helps them get to the point where you're at of awareness without this massive regret or something like that at the end where like they're chasing everything and then it's like shit wrong goal and it's over yeah you know what i mean like in like you but there's a, at least a time for restart button one of the things for you know before we get into the how and the tactics that uh that you're uh, uh can help us outline and is how those like the bar mitzvah or your hospitalization what are some of those like so those are traumatic events that probably instilled certain behavior or decision frame mod mental models that you were running by that it sounds like you've overcome so what were so what, what were the original mental models that were that were dysfunctional that like then how did the, how did those behaviors show up yeah well i i, I think uh, uh a lot of it has to do with uh trust and 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 trusting people and uh uh you know i i'll, I'll try to answer it this way and if, if it's not you know what what you were getting at no, I, I mean i for sure i'll pull it up yeah, I, I think for me, um, 
And this really affected me in, in a business, uh, you know, my first business in some ways negatively because I just can't trust people. I mean, if I can't trust my own father that he's going to have my uh, best interest at, 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 at heart and do what's right for me and there's not an, uh, you know, the unconditional uh, trust and love that I have for my kid and, and, and uh, you know, most people would in that situation, uh, who can I trust? You know, can I trust uh, people that I don't know or employees? or uh, relationships or, or really anyone um, mm -hmm. and that, you know, people. So I think uh, for me, the, these kind of symptoms uh, manifest themselves in uh, fear, uh, in paranoia, uh, in, uh, you know, just, just, just total, you know, like catastrophic anxiety, uh, tree branching, something uh, very... Um, uh, you know, small would, would, would occur. And then my, uh, you know, thought process would quickly gravitate that to something really catastrophic. Uh, so I think that's the what, way what, what that would happen then in like, like, so like when you're leading a company or you're working with clients or employees or height, like how did that, like, cause like what, what the, and the reason behind this, uh, questioning Jonathan is I think a lot of people struggle with this stuff. And so like, I think about like, People starting to recognize the feedback loops and the behaviors is the first step, right? <laughs> like yeah. We're, we're self-sabotaging ourselves and we don't even know it. And so it's like, and we could get better if we start recognizing. So what was happening with that, with that lack of trust or the propensity to gravitate towards fear? Like what was, what would happen in the business or your leadership? Yeah, well, uh, I, I think the way that that it worked for me, especially early on, is that I would just close off and I would, um, you know, for example, if I gave something to someone else and even if it was a, a very uh, kind of simple task and I didn't uh, get the feeling that they were doing it correctly or the way that I would do it, I would kind of take it back. I wouldn't use it as an opportunity uh, like maybe I would try to do now potentially to coach them to, uh, you know, make the right decision. Um, I would say that, you know, for, for the, you know, for me, this was very toxic for me. Having these thoughts is very bad uh, for my business. I would say it's not always that bad. And, and the reason why is because, you know, this fear, this paranoia um, sometimes allowed me to preempt what my competitors are doing. It allowed me to kind of hyper focus because I thought someone was coming to take what I thought was mine, hyper focus on what they were doing. How can we emulate, you know, what our competitors are doing? How can we do it better? Where can we advertise more effectively? Where can we do this? because there was this fear that all this is going to be taken away from me. Uh, a lot of times, very irrational fear, uh, irrational thoughts. People are going to do things to me. I thought that for a while, uh, it sounds crazy. I talk about this in my book, uh, but that my dad, who I had an estranged relationship with, uh, was trying to poison me and was trying to hurt me because he would leave me threatening voice messages. So uh, I I was paranoid that, that cleaning ladies or people that I allowed access to my home and my life were trying to uh, uh, kill me, uh, poison me, oh, hurt me uh, in some way that I would be in public somewhere and I would get jumped or something like that. So 
really, uh, uh, that's where my ultimate anxiety uh, led me to. And that's uh, what happens. Uh, uh, I will say that occasionally that still happens. Occasionally, I'll get to a you know, very anxious spot and, and I'll do that. And, and the things I think about, I, I recognize them as being irrational, but it's not necessarily something I have control over. But again, uh, I, I think without some of that, um, although it's not something I, I wish for myself, anyone, I, I think I wouldn't have achieved some of these things. Cause I think a lot of people could have had the idea for my business. I mean, the type of business I started, uh, required really no, uh, upfront capital, uh, the, there's not a lot of barriers to entry. Walk for this type. Some of the mechanics of what, yeah, for the listeners, like what, what were the business and how did you, how did you get it off the ground? Yeah, uh, so it, this is a e-commerce, uh, exclusively e-commerce business uh, subscription box. Uh, so everyone um, orders on our website. Uh, I built uh, our first website on kind of a self-service platform uh, that uh, where we can you know sign up customers. Uh, it's a recurring revenue company, so we automatically recharge people every month. And as long as uh, people, it's very transparent. People can cancel at any time, uh, but as long as they don't cancel, we're going to recharge them. And uh, so uh, customer service uh, is very important. Uh, delivering a high quality product is, is very important. But what's attractive about it is that it doesn't really require. I mean, I started the company with under $2,000. And within five years, we did over $60 million in revenue. That's it. Yeah, it's it. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, just that, that's awesome. I just yeah. got to say that's freaking awesome. You're like in the right of the decibel of people that can do that. So props. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. And and I think just to put in perspective a little bit, like this, this, this was trending around the time I started. So around 2016 subscription box, we're uh, kind of building some momentum. So more people are starting these companies and uh, we operate on this platform. The platform is actually called Crate Joy. I'm not looking to give them a shout out or not give them a shout out, but they kind of, uh, you know, had this uh, built, you know, full service solution where you could build a website, start taking orders, um, had some, you know, label printing options, hosting the website, recurring billing, and uh, I just mentioned that because hundreds of thousands of aspiring entrepreneurs at that time tried to start these companies. Uh, very few of them, well under half a percent, uh, even scaled to a thousand subscribers, then 5,000 subscribers, then 10,000, because it, it was so easy for people to start this. They ended up being hobby businesses or people couldn't get to the next level. I think uh, a lot of what led to my success is a lot of personal sacrifice. So I, uh, and pe people had had my, my uh, niche uh, was for single women. And I was actually a single uh, guy at the time. I still am. And I uh, thought that it would be nice to get a gift. And I hadn't received a gift from a significant other in a while. And originally, I had the idea for men and women. Uh, when I did some mm -hmm. kind of initial market research, discovered that women were really the consumers uh, for these boxes, that it was important to kind of cultivate a community on Instagram. This was like before TikTok, for some of the other platforms that have uh, popped up lately. But uh, uh, so I decided to focus on women and I made these kind of strategic decisions that ended up, in my opinion, being the right decisions. And uh, I you know, started to advertise on Facebook. 
And a lot of this kind of goes back to what people told me I could never do. I started, I had no background in digital advertising. I kind of had a corporate career in financial services, nothing that exciting, but about a 10-year career. I was a, a branch manager for a bank. I talk about in the book, it actually got robbed at gunpoint uh, while I was there. <laughs> I did some oh other uh, uh, stuff in, 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 in banking, that, that type of thing, but nothing really that uh, great. Never really made a, a substantial amount of money like I did in the business. Uh, but I taught myself digital advertising and I scaled the ad spend from $20 a day to over 10,000 a day within a year. And I kind of learned that platform and uh, we became kind of an enterprise level advertiser on Facebook where we're getting access to different betas and getting, uh, you know, sophisticated account help directly from Facebook. And that's really what ultimately scaled uh, my business. That's amazing, man. Pardon the interruption. I just wanted to drop a note to say if you resonate with some of the things that Jonathan and I are talking about, that the battle between our ears and funneling our energy into something productive is something that you're working on. I'll tell you what, the business that I have and what I've been working on over the last 10 years has literally I, has saved the, the six inches between my ears because it gives me something productive to think about. But then balancing the personal life, but also business is a whole nother challenge in itself. I find a lot of a lot of peace in the fact that I know where I'm headed and having a the correct amount of effort into what I'm working on and knowing that the momentum and energy I'm placing is getting me to where I want to go. And honestly, it sounds a lot, a lot of self-serving because it's what we do, but the learning that I've put into it myself and understanding where I'm at, and then also having the financial visibility to know that what I'm doing is getting me where I want to go is what gives me peace of mind. So that way I can balance between work and life. And if there's something that I would say to get started, go check out the Intentional Growth Starter Kit just to start learning because if you start leveling up your education, getting clear on what you want and why, and then understanding how your energy and your time and your all your sacrifice that you're putting in to the business is getting you where you want to go, I think then you can take a step back and say, hey, I'm going to enjoy the present moment too. So it's kind of a paradox where the more you think about the future, the actual more you can actually be present because you have visibility and, and alignment, which I think intentional growth is really about alignment. So thanks everybody for tuning in and back to the interview with Jonathan. So how did that mindset of fear, lack of trust, paranoia put rocket fuel behind what you just described? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it all contributed. I mean, I would wake up every day and think that this is all going away. I mean, even when we would have incredible things happening. I mean, we got to a point where we're getting 20 people to sign up a day, 50 people to sign up a day, a hundred people to sign up, 500 people to sign up a day. And oh. I still <laughs> thought that something was going to go wrong. I even thought kind of the biggest, uh, you know, year that we had and the biggest moment that that came was uh, during the COVID uh, pandemic in 2020. And I was uh, scared shitless mm -hmm. that this was all going to go away, that this was, uh, you know, done, that we weren't going to be able to get product, we weren't going to be able to ship product. Uh, we did incredibly well. It was a game changer for me personally. It was a game changer for the business uh, because of some of the advertising variables in our favor uh, that happened during that time and people spending money, some kind of economic variables. But I woke up every day and I thought that every situation was the end. And I 
you know, worked hard to kind of uh, preempt that and to try to do what I could in those moments to make strategic decisions uh, to, you know, do, do, do the right thing. And I thought that I needed to, but I also made mistakes along the way. I uh, invested over a million dollars with a, uh, you know, boutique uh, marketing agency out of New York uh, that came to me marketing that they worked with uh, well-known household brands uh, that they, you know, offered a, a unique way to advertise that would kind of supplement what we were already doing on top of that. And ultimately, uh, it, it, it was a lot of duplication of sales. It, it, it was just tossing away money and i thought i needed to do that because that's what our that's what our competitors were doing that's what others were doing and we needed that to grow and i even doubted myself how can i do this myself what what do i know how do i you know i need to bring on this more sophisticated help but ultimately you know i i did everything uh, uh, myself. And I think uh, a lot of time when I talk to entrepreneurs, because now that I've, particularly in the subscription box e-commerce space, a lot of people come to me and they want to start a similar company. They want advice. Um, and, uh, you know, it, uh, a lot of times they're 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 looking at the, the, the wrong thing. They want to focus on how they can, uh, you know, build the coolest looking box or how they're going to do that. It's really about how they can acquire uh, customers for the lowest cost. And people automatically assume, in my opinion, in digital advertising that you need third-party help, that you need to hire you know, an agency. But a lot of these tools like Facebook ads, now TikTok ads, Google ads, uh, there's a lot of free resources out there for people to educate themselves to kind of establish expertise so that if you do and when you do scale your business and you are talking talking to these people who do this for a living, uh, you're, you're going to know what you're talking about. I've seen entrepreneurs get taken advantage of by these oh companies God, right? because they have no idea what they're talking about. And they're kind of trusting the expertise of these people that are really out for themselves. And, and did you, you see know, that in the money industry too, before you jumped into the entrepreneurship space? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I wasn't at that sophisticated a level ever in like, uh, uh, banking, but, um, yeah, I mean, everybody, people, I just, I guess the people, like a lot of people outsource their knowledge of money. Yeah. They assume some, like, so there's kind of some commonalities then. So Jonathan, I, uh, in one of the things that we teach in the academy is creating sustainable, predictable, transferable future cash flow. And it sounds like the innate sense of fear that it's all going to go away. My guess is you created a cash flow machine <laughs> because yeah. you're always worried it's going to go away. Um, how did how did you? So, like that sounds. I mean, I'm trying to think about the mindset that you had and the relationship you had with the business. Is like, you know that 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 can drive a really good business. Like I just said. Like, so if I'm sitting here as a potential investor, going, I want the the business that Jonathan has created because he's got that, that DNA that he's in and he's building machine, but like how stressful as the person that's in it. So like, were you able to like calibrate it or have a healthy relationship where you, you took it from like, where you're, you're pruning the, the toxic stuff of it, what it, but keeping the behaviors that is helping you build something that's good. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I think that I, um, 
Yeah, I'm not. I, I uh, let me let me back up. I think it's it's definitely still something that I'm actively working on. Like I I, I still a lot of times uh, uh, wake up. I, I I become a lot of what I do in the business today is very uh, redundant. Uh, so a lot of the actions that I take and I, I've kind of been even trying to lately motivate myself in the way that I did when I was, um, you know, aggressively growing the business, because I even talk about this in the book after the kind of peak of this business uh, following the kind of uh, pandemic, uh, you know, the business took um, a little bit of a downturn and we were actually instead of the acquisition cost going down the historic acquisition costs went up. Uh, so the mm -hmm. two kind of key variables in the business are, uh, how, you know, the acquisition costs, how much we're paying to acquire a new subscriber and the lifetime value. So how long we can keep uh, someone subscribed. And uh, there was always a, a negative front end scenario. So if we were, we were always paying between 50 or $60 to acquire a customer, but we're only getting $40 up front. So we're really relying on that lifetime value to uh you know uh, sustain profitability to yeah yeah, yeah. so it, it it's really a constant challenge and there's kind of always a leak in the boat uh so to speak and there's always uh uh you're always losing customers there's they call it churn so so always uh you know losing that and we were in a position during the the kind of accelerated growth from like 2016 through 2020 where uh, the, the losses really didn't matter because we were acquiring at, at such an aggressive rate uh, that 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 it outweighed all that. Then um, we, uh, you know, weren't able to do that. Then the acquisition costs went up. I wasn't able to spend as much money. Then I needed to pivot. Uh, to start making smarter economic decisions, uh, smarter decisions to, you know, make this a sustainable uh, business. So I think, you know, there, there there's been KPI, KPIs that you were, uh, what were, so it's obviously client acquisition costs, lifetime value of a customer, and making sure that those uh, balance out. What were some of the KPIs that you were measure or monitoring and measuring specifically throughout this pivot that, to make sure that you were doing the right stuff? Yeah, I, I think one of the biggest things is that we moved uh, from working pretty much exclusively with uh, third-party brands uh, in our boxes. So we would buy product from uh, brands that you would see in Ulta, Sephora, Nordstrom, uh, to a model where we uh, start to manufacture a lot of their own products. So I actually went uh, overseas and we worked directly with overseas factories to uh, build our own products. And everything that goes in a box, it's all about perceived value. So it's about if we were to put a, a $200 necklace uh, that was in a Ziploc bag versus a $5 necklace on a beautiful card uh, inside a velvet pouch or velvet, seemingly velvet pouch, uh, that's going to be more attractive to the <laughs> uh, that's, that's going to be more attractive to the end consumer uh, than the the two hundred dollars Ziploc bag. That's just the reality that we found. So uh, I, that's one of the biggest things that that I did strategically was to uh, uh, you know move our production and the product that we're getting, and that uh, reduced the cost of uh, cost of goods sold. Uh, so that also increased uh, our kind of gross margin, our our, our profitability. In the business 
And uh, uh, because, you know, there, there were some variables that we couldn't control. I mean, there's always a variability in the in the shipping costs. Uh, there There's other things I had to, you know, make some uh, difficult decisions on my team and how I can operate this business. You know, what's the optimal number of people that I can operate, you know, with our customer service time, uh, responsive time being at a certain rate? How many people do we need to get back to people with eight or 10 hours where, you know, sending boxes boxes all over the world, we're getting incoming messages 24 hours a day. So how can I, uh, you know, optimize that with uh, minimal costs? So I, I, I think, you know, ultimately, the biggest KPIs uh, in, in, in the business for me, uh, come down to acquisition costs. And the way I measured that is just being uh crazy in a way, uh, you know, I call it a healthy obsession, but but being very, you know, looking at the Facebook ad performance, uh, which is highly analytical as far as uh, cost per click, cost per acquisition, um, ROAS, I mean, all this stuff, mm -hmm. looking at it multiple times a day, making real-time changes, uh, making constant changes to the creative that we're using, trying to identify what we call evergreen creatives, so the stuff that's going to work indefinitely, uh, playing with ad copy. Uh, I wrote a piece of ad copy that produced millions uh, when you're the love of your own damn life. And, uh, you know, just... <laughs> doing all these other things. The other thing that I did strategically uh, was I bought another business and uh, I found ourselves in 2020 sitting on a, a lot of excess inventory. And I was thinking of a way to get rid of uh, some of this excess inventory that we had because we always ordered inventory, whether it was from a third party or ourselves, uh, trying to exceed the demand. Uh, we never wanted to run out of product. We never wanted to not be able to, we, want, we, we always marketed it as, you know, the fear of selling out but yeah. I never truly wanted to sell out. And uh, we end up sitting on a lot of stuff. So uh, a lot of smaller subscription boxes started to buy product from us. And there was one that's actually located where I am in South Florida uh, that I could tell that was still buying product from us. Their numbers were, were going uh, down. Uh, they weren't really that excited about the business. And I offered to buy the business. Uh, that business called Paradise Delivered. Uh, at the time that I bought it, uh, they were sending out under 100 boxes a month and have been doing it for about three to four years. Uh, within a year, uh, we were shipping out over 10,000 uh, Paradise Holy Delivered shit, boxes uh, a month. And I really... How many boxes do you ship out now? Uh, not as many as we used to, but uh, so around between the two brands, uh, Singular Swag. You don't have to answer it if it's too confidential. Just curious. No, it's not confident. Uh, yeah, I'm happy to share. Uh, it's it, uh, around 15,000 uh, a month. That's uh, amazing, we man. We ship, though, over uh, 3 million boxes uh, since inception. Um, wow. So it's, uh, uh, yeah, uh, at our peak, um, just to give you some perspective on how the business has evolved at our peak in kind of uh, June, July of 2020, we were shipping closer to 50,000 boxes a month. <laughs> That's yeah. crazy, man. So you buy this company, did they know what what value that they had or what they what you could do with it? I mean, how, did, how was that going? How was that uh, experience buying a company for the first time? Uh, you know, this was a, a relatively simple transaction. I, I had uh, a lawyer that does a lot of, uh, you know, kind of transactional stuff for me, review contracts. I've had a few... 
kind of uh, lawsuits that I deal with over disputes over products, that type of thing. But I've never really had anything s- serious legal issues with the company. Uh, but he kind of drafted a, a, a relatively simple document. And um, uh, I, I don't think they did. And, and I think really a lot of the the value of growing that you know it was in my head i mean we used the same techniques that i had uh you know exhibited or 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 the sign engaged in the same activities i did with single swag with paradise delivered and it was the right timing uh so 2020 if this if i would have acquired this business in 2022 or 2023 when these advertising variables had already shifted when other things so uh, it, you know, it, it was a combination of a few factors. One of them was timing. Uh, but what made it very profitable is that we didn't have to buy the product for these boxes. So we could essentially use the product, uh, the, the raw product that went in the boxes. We only had to buy the boxes. We only had to create kind of some new brand assets, uh, build mm-hmm. a new boxes type of thing. So, uh, but, but yeah, it, it, it was, um, uh, I, I wish at that time I had bought a few more brands and I had uh, kind <laughs> of, uh, you know, rolled up, a, a, a few of these companies. I felt like that, that was really when the time was right to strike when the iron is hot. And, you know, what's happened in the, in the last couple of years is that, uh, a significant amount of these companies that had scaled during the time that I scale my business, mm-hmm. let's say from like 2015 to 2022, have actually gone out of business, have either sold at a significant discount. Um, and we've bought uh, kind of the assets of multiple companies uh, in kind of liquidation situation. So they've had they've had maybe 50 to 60,000 units of product that we took to use in our business. They've had some email list assets that we've acquired. Uh, it's become a lot more challenging to operate. So I'm kind of trying to keep uh, our head above water at this point and hope uh, that there's a shift in some of the variables uh, that go back to how they were, uh, you know, when we well, were I able to scale or hope really that we can. Yeah. And I think uh, like, well, here's a couple of observations that I have. I don't know if they're right or not, but like, I think you're going back to a couple of the phrases you've used is your healthy obsession. Where instead of, you know, focusing on the fear and paranoia and all the stuff that you had been uh, exposed to in the past is like, I mean, dude, you're a freaking data scientist and ninja. Like that's what it is. And like, I think about it, Jonathan, and like I had this guy, Rob Green on the show recently. Um, and we were talking about like these, the product, brand arbitrage the game's kind of over like i mean I, I remember dude like i never got into it jonathan i've just been doing the podcast long enough where i got exposure to all these entrepreneurs i mean i had 115 employees with my dad like we had a couple million in inventory you know like it was a machine with a lot of stuff and then i remember looking at these companies I'm like these aren't companies these are like people in their basements doing mart like it but then like as people what rob and i were talking about is he then got into the manufacturing because it was brand building and they got into manufacturing. Like you got a company, right? You got your building your own yeah. products. Like it's a company. And I think a lot of these other people, it was, it was more of like a shingle that looked like it was a company. And when I think about like your healthy obsession is like, yeah, like you're really good at it. You've spent how, probably the 10,000 hours to do this versus the 10,000 hours of having an idle mind. And like what I find fascinating is how little we talk about this online or in the and in the culture of entrepreneurship is like it's not that easy dude i can't imagine like i don't like i never once was like i could do e-commerce tomorrow <laughs> like and, i mean from 
someone that does it all the time. Like that looks really hard. And so like, talk about how your path to learning this like this and like how that maybe compares to some of these other brands and how that healthy obsession has allowed you to, I mean, I don't know, I'm assuming you enjoy it or you don't enjoy it. Like how talk about this healthy obsession and how that's gotten you to where you are. Yeah. Uh, uh, that definitely has gotten me to where I am. And I think the way uh, that I think about it from my perspective and that I, uh, you know, think will resonate with a lot of listeners or just a lot of people is that, you know, when when I have these symptoms primarily of anxiety or symptoms of stress or these racing thoughts or unable to uh, kind of, uh, you know, can, can control it. And, and if I can channel that into thinking about my business from every angle into things like we've talked about preempting what my competitors are doing uh you know going above and beyond thinking about all the marketing the the acquisition tactics that uh you know i i had these kind of brainstorming sessions where i would just sit there and i would think about what can i be doing more i'm not doing enough i was about to go to sleep I need to stay up longer because I need to think of more ways that we can do this. I need to send out more emails to prospective uh, companies that we can partner with for product. I need to answer more customer service emails because that's going to keep people subscribed longer and, and become more advocates. So it became exciting to me. It became a healthy obsession mm. because I was excited to do what I was doing. Um, I, I, I wouldn't say that the excitement I'll be honest, has, uh, uh, you know, kind of always stood the test of time, but particularly when the company was scaling uh, at the aggressive rate that it was, uh, I, I was just excited about everything I was doing. And I was making a lot of personal sacrifices in my life, things that I had always done. I mean, going out for drinks with friends, uh, watching TV, going to see movies. I basically went dark. I, I, I mean, I was like in a zone where I was just hyper-focused on doing these things and not sleeping a lot. I mean, I used to think prior to this business that I could not function on under seven or eight hours of sleep. Uh, I learned uh, pretty quickly that I could function. I don't think that's sustainable for like the most healthy lifestyle long-term, but I was able to do it and I was able to still think at a high level. And I think that Really, you know, I'm not a, a, a genius. You know, there's nothing that that that's really that unique uh, about me from my perspective. I just was willing to do a lot of these hard things. I mean, uh, when I talk about teaching myself Facebook advertising with no background of Facebook advertising, so this is building kind of an account structure. And when you're spending over ten thousand a day on your own. Uh, you know, that's pretty sophisticated. I mean, oh we have God, hundreds. It goes the wrong way. I mean, you burn in cash. Literally. Yeah, well, we like, have hundreds of ads, uh, lots of different targeting, retargeting. I mean, this is lots to look at, lots to manage. And it, it, it's really not easy. And, and you really need to have that expertise to be able to make the right decisions. And yeah, it, it, it was my own money. I've never had an investor. I've never raised money. That's been beneficial to me personally and my family because I've been able to take money when I want. I've been able to use the business to kind of fund uh, my life and 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 do great things for myself. 
but uh, I, you know, never had any any anyone besides myself, and I was never even willing to pay anyone else. Uh, that people told me, and maybe I would have been another level. Maybe I, I, I would be a lot richer and and a lot better off if I would have been willing. Uh, to hire, you know, the type of talent to give them equity to people that have done this before, people that are incredibly well educated or have. Do you think uh, you'd be capable of having like that? Yeah, well, I think that's my personal challenge is that I, I I wasn't capable of that at that time. I may not even be capable of that now. I mean, I've had people offer to roll my business up and 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 become a part of uh, larger businesses and essentially agree to work for somebody else. I mean, I don't think that I I would do well in that in that situation. And I also think that I, you know, don't do well kind of trusting other people, particularly people that I'm paying a lot of money to. But do I think that that's always the right answer now looking back on this from like a holistic view mm -hmm. looking down on it? No. I I I think it is important to potentially hire the right people. I think a lot of my uh mental um, ailments, insecurities, trust issues, even prevented me from, from having even more success because I was only willing to do things and I really only trusted myself. And really for a long time, uh, my, my only other employee uh, for multiple years, even when I was making a lot of money, had a big business was my mother, uh, the one person in my life I could unconditionally trust and that I knew had my best interest and make decisions. But this is also a, at the time, uh, mid to late 60s uh, person who was a uh, retired teacher, uh, kindergarten <laughs> teacher awesome. that was not a uh, tech uh, e-commerce entrepreneur, had no you know kind of background in that. But uh, for me, it worked uh, because it was someone I trusted and that's kind of what I needed. Jonathan, how like it's I, I find the whole journey so fascinating and I, I can totally picture being in your EO forum of going through the lifeline. <laughs> yeah. Um how like I find it fascinating. What you seem so self-aware of all of these tendencies, your past, how to manage it. It was there any triggering point or was the book in the process of reflecting? Because like somehow you got to the point where you're on this show having this conversation. And I don't know about you, man, but like every time I get awareness, it's because I get hit in the face with something. <laughs> and then I had to like yeah. deal with it to get over to the other side. And maybe I can learn a lot from you about how to avoid that pain. But I'm curious, man, like was there one thing or something or a sequence of events that got you to the point where you're comfortable talking about this in kind of like a, an awareness observer perspective? Yeah, I, I, I got to a point, well, it's, it's really twofold. I, I, I really, um, I think the book helped bring a lot of that out and, and I had some help writing the book and I was kind of, uh, you know, did some interviewing and did some self-reflection and, and kind did of you looked, intend to do that with the book or did the book morph as you were doing it? Uh, I, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know if there was a lot of in, in, in intent. Uh, I think that a lot of the, I think it became more intentional as the book, uh, kind of, uh, progressed. Mm -hmm. And as I started to kind of articulate these concepts that have always been in my head or that have been in my head as I was building this business. So I think that all, uh, you know, kind of came together, but it, 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 yeah, uh, it wasn't easy to to kind of get to that 
uh, place of awareness and and yeah, it, it's awesome, still. Man. I'm just yeah. I'm happy for you. It's awesome. Like, I appreciate it. Yeah, because it's not a. Like I said, I've every part of my awareness has come from <laughs> me going through some serious yeah. pain. Um, what do you go ahead? No, I was just going to say that. I mean, I, I think one of the things that it, it ultimately became once I saw the final product with the book, and this is not a, a self-promote. First of all, I had a goal in mind with the book. So I knew that my business uh, may not be there forever. I knew that my business and my business is still sustainable for multiple years. It's actually still a great lifestyle business, still producing a lot of revenue. Uh, we have, you know, we've pivoted in different ways. We're not, we're selling a lot of one-off e-commerce products like uh, mystery boxes in addition to subscriptions. So we've done some things to continue to try to grow the business, but uh, I wanted to create more opportunities for myself. I wanted to, in, in some ways, monetize my story and use the book as a catalyst to get in front of different groups and to share this story and to help people overcome certain things and uh, to, you know, overcome seemingly insurmountable obstacles or toxic family issues and achieve what they want to achieve. And that's really what I want to do with the book. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it wasn't all just for my you know, sanity. I, I do have some strategic things. I, I haven't uh, achieved many of them yet. I'm still kind of early in the process, but uh, that's, awesome. that's really my goal is to uh, really get my story out there as much as possible and and ultimately, uh, uh, you know, become even a thought leader in mental health and entrepreneurship and 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 really build that's a, a uh, there's a lot of opportunity there, man. I think there's yeah. a lot of people that need some help. <laughs> oh, man, this is so I, I've really enjoyed the conversation, Jonathan. I really have. Um I'm trying to think, is there, is there anything, any part of your story that I haven't had, that we haven't unpacked that you'd feel like you want to share? Uh, no, I, I feel like we've, uh, we've covered a lot. There, there definitely is more, um, in the book and, uh, uh, pick up the book, right? Pick up the book. Pick up the book, pick it out. It's available pretty much everywhere. Books are sold online. It's uh, it just recently came out on audiobook. But yeah, I I, I think I I definitely shared uh, uh, a lot, and, and there's there's more. But I'm always happy to connect with uh, individuals, even in the book. There's some um, where the keywords uh, they links. find you. Uh, yeah, so uh, jonathanbeskin.com, uh, uh, Instagram at jbeskin. Uh, they can email me, jonathan at singleswag, uh, two S's in the middle.com, uh, or go to singleswag or paradisedeliver.com uh, websites. But uh, yeah, happy. I got happy. one last question for you, man. I yeah. uh, The name of the show is Intentional Growth. Love to hear people's definition of intentional. You got any thoughts about what that word means to you? Hmm. Yeah, I, I guess, um, you know, it, it, I, I guess for the word that comes to mind, being deliberate. Uh, so so okay. being deliberate about, about what you're doing. Um, I, I like to talk about discipline uh, a lot. I kind of learned this in, in marathon running. I learned this with my business, uh, the importance of being disciplined and, and, and being focused. And I kind of think some of those things are synonymous with intentional. And uh, that, that that's kind of how I yeah, think about it. Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I had a blast. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Appreciate it. 
Thanks for listening into that conversation. I hope you found the time valuable. If you enjoyed the conversation, please leave the show a review on your podcast player. We're constantly trying to up those reviews. It helps a lot with the visibility. And if you didn't catch the commercial in the middle of that episode, there's two different ways that we can help you. One is if you want that kind of clarity, we have a coaching program that is based on the five intentional growth principles and uses the material to help you get that kind of clarity on your target equity valuation and income that you need on the way towards that valuation what you want from the business long-term and why, and then how to get aligned with your leadership and your partners so that way everybody's working in the right direction to get you what you want. And the second way is if you wanna jump right into the data and you wanna actually build out your financial roadmap with your three statements and tie your financials and your operational data to that target equity valuation, my team offers a complimentary financial assessment Either way, all you have to do is go use the link in the show notes below, schedule a discovery call with me. We can walk through your situation, figure out if there's a fit or not. And if not, I can point you in the right direction. Thanks everybody for tuning in and I hope you enjoyed this episode and I will see you next week.